0: Father, that that indeed would be true of us, that we would have hungering hearts for you and for your word, and and that we would just humbly walk in obedience. It is true, as we've just sung, that you find us here in our weaknesses. But thank you that even when we are weak, you are strong. Would you strengthen us now and convict us and challenge us through the preaching and teaching of your word and through these wonderful words, challenging words of our Lord Jesus Christ today. Yet again, it's in Jesus name we ask this and his name that we've met and gathered today. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Would you grab your Bibles on your way down and get your Bible open on your lap to Matthew chapter 16. We're working our way through this. The longest of the four Gospels, and we're in chapter 16, and we're on the final verses of this great passage. It's not often that I feel like, as I'm preparing a message, that I need, uh, for some reason, to give a disclaimer or a word of caution about the message. I think today I need to do both. Uh, On the point of disclaimer, I guess I feel like I need to say that I don't know that I should preach this message. I don't know that. I don't know that I really understand the reality of this passage enough to preach it. You know that with the responsibility of preaching comes the responsibility of living. And and I suspect that I am somewhat falling short of the expectation of the passage. As to the warning label on this message, I would say that. Um, Well, first of all, uh, we're only going to get through the first two points um, because of time and because of the need to stay consistent with all three services. I can't get ahead of one service and behind in another. Um, So it will continue next week. I'm warning you about that. But I'm also warning you that this passage of Scripture is one of the hard teachings of Christ. It's not an easy passage. It's not without its question marks when you read it and process it. It's also a passage of Scripture that um, you can't just walk away from and not respond to. You are now going to encounter the core teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ, and you will respond. You will either respond as our Lord wants you to, and as he challenges his disciples to respond, or you will respond uh, in callousness and carelessness and in a benign ho-hum response. Those are serious responses on either extreme. Let's read our text. It is an interesting passage of scripture. And as I said, we will lay a groundwork for really getting into the heart of answering uh, the detailed questions that come out of this passage next week. But let's Let's introduce it, let's challenge our hearts today and um, by reading the text. Now remember in our context, we've just had this most fascinating encounter with the Apostle Peter and the Lord Jesus. Peter, feeling very good about himself in affirming the deity of Christ, in recognizing that he is the Messiah, he is the Son of God, immediately turns around and And in a sense, makes a fool of himself by contradicting what our Lord then informs the disciples in verses 21 to 23. Letting them know that the time is coming that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders. He will be killed and on the third day he will be raised. And Peter takes him aside and, and, and he makes it his business to counsel the Lord Jesus to disregard the will of the Father in his life. Imagine that. Jesus tells them what is God's plan and Peter says, No, Lord, that will never happen when I'm around. And that's when Jesus turns and looks at Peter and says, Get away from me, Satan. Listen to me. Anybody who speaks to you anything that is contrary to the will of God is nothing other than the voice of Satan whispering in your ear. It's a profound reality. And so Peter has been... Duly shut down by our Lord, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan. And then our Lord turns to the disciples and he continues to teach. Let's pick it up actually with verse 23. He turns and he says to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And that seems to be a segue. Sentence into what he's now going to instruct the disciples. Get your mind on the things of God, not on thinking about this world and thinking about yourself as a man, but think with the mind of God. And Jesus then told his disciples, verse 24, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man, speaking of himself, Jesus is, is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. And truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. What a remarkable passage of Scripture. It's confrontational. It has, I think, a little bit of an edge to it. It is, at some level, almost confusing. What does this mean? Take up his cross now. I thought that, uh, you know, the cross was where I went and I received Jesus Christ as my Savior there. I, I recognized my sinfulness in the presence of a holy God and, and it was the cross there where Jesus died. It was his cross, it's not my cross. And how do I take this cross up? And, and, and it's, it's big, it's cumbersome, it's embarrassing, it's, it's obvious. Everyone will know. I, I'm not sure I know what to do with this cross. And yet here at the heart of this teaching, it's the teaching of the cross as it applies to the, to, the, to the life on a daily basis of the disciples, those who would follow after Christ. I think in this passage we have, we have Christ calling us to follow him, don't you see that? And as he calls us to follow him, I think that there are at least five dynamics to this call. If you want to take your notes and follow along, you'll find that helpful, I think. What is entailed in this call of the cross? What is entailed as Christ challenges us to deny ourselves to take up this cross? Well, the first thing I want you to see in the passage, I want you to understand as we approach the passage he opens up with this phrase, speaking specifically to his disciples, and then the spillover is to all believers ever since. If anyone, that's us, isn't it? If anyone, anyone who wants to follow Christ. I suspect that if I asked you to raise your hands today and said, who wants to be a follower of Jesus? That hands would go up across the room. It is also possible that there's someone here who would not raise their hand and say, I don't want to follow him. I don't know where you are in your life and thinking. But I suspect that there are many folk here who would say, yes, I want to follow Christ. And so it's why I put the quotation marks about on, on point number one, I want you to understand that this is a call to anyone. It is the normal call. This is normal Christian living. So Christ's call is, first of all, normal with quotes around it. And I want you to understand it's normal in that what Christ is teaching here is a repeated teaching. This is... Bullet point number one, the most repeated teaching that is recorded in Scripture coming from the very mouth of our Lord Jesus Christ. You do realize, if you have a red letter edition, that all of the, all of the words that we just read in Matthew 16, 24 to 28 are in red. That is, they are a direct quote. Matthew was there. Matthew heard it. Matthew wrote it down. It is also recorded in other parallel passages. That is, on this occasion, recorded by other uh, uh, writers of the gospel, Mark, Luke, and John. John is the least direct, but yet he has similar teaching when he talks about, for example, in John 12, I believe it is, where a seed falls to the ground and it must die. This teaching of self-denial, of taking up the cross, of dying to self is the most repeated teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, our conclusion has to be that that must be normal Christ following. That's what he wants us to understand. You want to follow me? This is what you do. We've already had this, for example... and. I want you to take your notes home, if you will. Um, There might be extra bulletins if you didn't get a set of notes. And it would be worthwhile for you to stick that in your Bible, or if you don't have your Bible today, stick it in your pocket, take it home, and sometime this week, look up the verses that are recorded under point number one, the first bullet point, on just this repeated teaching and how it comes through. But to remind ourselves that we've already been here once, turn back just to Matthew chapter 10. And do you remember this difficult passage that we had? It's entitled, this section is entitled in my Bible, Not Peace, But a Sword. Matthew chapter 10, beginning with verse 34. Two different occasions. Matthew chapter 10 comes before Matthew chapter 16. In chronology, our Lord has already been teaching this to His disciples. There are also other residual teachings or... Or complimentary teachings of our Lord. For example, in the Sermon on the Mount, where he talks about only those who are meek and broken in spirit. In other words, this whole idea of putting aside pride, putting aside self-agenda, denying ourselves. This theme comes through in his teaching at lots of different levels. In Matthew chapter 10, beginning with verse 34, we read this. Do not think, Jesus talking about himself, that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. You remember this? This is some months ago. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against his mother, and a daughter-in-law against his mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. What in the world is he talking about? I look back in my sermon notes on this occasion. To see what I had said about it, and in penciled in the margin of the notes, I reminded you of a story that my father told me about when he was 16 years old. He and his brother Harold had accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. They lived in the northwoods of Wisconsin, rough conditions, 13 children, uh, my grandfather working all the time, tired, grouchy, mean. Didn't know Christ at all. They, the family did not know anything about the Lord Jesus really or the Bible. And a traveling evangelist came through that part of the country. And my dad, Eugene, and his brother, Harold, prayed to receive Christ. And their lives began to change. They were standing in the kitchen trying to share Christ with my grandmother and my dad said she went upstairs, she got probably the only suitcase they owned, brought it down, set it down on the floor and said, if you boys want to keep talking like that, get your stuff and leave this house. I haven't come to bring peace, I've come to bring division. Have you ever noticed how the gospel divides? It estranges, it marks people. Don't you get the feeling That when you begin to get a handle on what Jesus is teaching, it is really an uncomfortable Christianity that Jesus teaches. It is an unaccommodating, uncomfortable Christianity, and that is why I wanted to warn you about this. He says in verse 36, a person's enemies will be of those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his, here it is, here it is. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me, you're just not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There's the paradoxical equation. I'm telling you, back to Matthew 16, this is Jesus presenting to us normal Christianity. Normal Christianity. And it is an unaccommodating Christianity. It is an uncomfortable Christianity. And I want to warn us as well this morning with this passage that I suspect that we are on the threshold of an era of time, particularly as wealthy, middle, middle upper-middle-class Americans in this season of our history, that the day of comfortable Christianity is likely coming to an end. It is a very good time for our church. To have ears to hear what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ today. I also want you to know that this is normal Christianity in that it is the normative teaching of our Lord. It 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 is the standard of what he calls us to throughout the Gospels. We find it also in the epistles. We'll not take time to pursue that today. But I want to be clear that this is, second bullet point, this is not to be taken as some kind of call for for elite, special commando forces of Christianity. See, that's what I think happens. This is intended to be the mark of every Christian. It is not some kind of passage that brings conviction upon us. And let's use Tom and Heidi Jesserin. We've prayed for them today. They're our missionaries of the month. They're in Nigeria. And they're floating down the, the river of life in their Christian boat. And they have their ticket to heaven safely tucked in their wallet. And they are, are Christians. They've been to the cross and... And I don't want to minimize the moment of one's salvation at all as coming to the cross. It is indeed all about the cross. That's where a holy God meets a sinful man. And that's where Jesus Christ comes in and takes the sin of that individual upon himself. Pays the price so that we are satisfied. We, that, that the demands of justice are satisfied with a holy God. And we enter into new life in Christ. But I'm telling you, what I don't want us to think about this passage is that it's sometime, some kind of, uh, you know, green beret Christianity. Tom and Heidi are living their Christian life. They've been born again. And then all of a sudden it occurs to them one day hey, 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 you've got to deny yourself and you've got to pick up your cross and you've got to stop. You've got to give yourself away for the gospel, and that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to become this upper-shelf, elite, special forces Christian, and we're going to go to a dangerous place like Nigeria and preach Christ. That's what this passage is about. This is about people who, who really dedicate their life to Christ. Now, we all want the cross. And, it, and it's equally important to be to the cross. But you got to understand, i got to go to Walmart because I'm out of cat food and i got to pick up my kids at 3 o'clock. And I just can't really do this denial thing and pick up the cross thing and I cannot go to Nigeria. That's for Tom and Heidi or maybe Matt White. He's crawling around the attics with his dad's HVAC business and one day it occurs to him, I need to, I need to pick up my cross and I'm going to become a special kind of Christian. I'm going to take this thing to a whole new level. That's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to deny myself. He goes to his dad and he quits the business and he, He puts the for sale sign in front of his house. i got to deny myself. I'm picking up my cross. I'm going to do this. And I'm going to go to Bible college and seminary. And now he's preaching in his own pulpit right now. And if if Matt White's worth his salt, he's still preaching at 12 o'clock. That's kind of how we think about it, isn't it? It's like, okay, here we are. I'm born again. I'm saved. I've been to the cross. I understand the cross, the transaction that takes place. That only people covered with the blood of Christ, only people cleansed by the shed blood of Christ, accepting by grace through faith, his finished work of salvation. And that this must be for some kind of upper level. No, no, no. The third bullet point. Every Christian is called to be a disciple. Every Christian is called to be a disciple. And Jesus is calling disciples. What is a disciple? A disciple is a learner. A disciple is someone who is committed to following a teacher. They listen to what he says. They obey his instruction. But even more than that, a disciple is someone who is modeling their lives after Christ. I would maintain that the norm of the Christian life is that all people who've been to the cross are called to be disciples. Learners conforming to the image of Christ... And if any man has been in Christ, he's a new creation now. And all things are becoming new. And the old is passing away. And we're, we're going to encounter Galatians 2.20 next week a little bit. And I have been crucified with Christ. And nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but I live now by my faith in the, in the blood and the cross of Jesus Christ. That is for all believers. Every Christian is called to be a disciple. You need to make sure you know that our Christianity is much, much more than just a ticket to heaven in my wallet. I don't want in any way to minimize a salvation experience of some seven-year-old kid at day camp. And they recognize that they're a sinner. And they've come and they talk to their teacher And they say, I know I'm a sinner, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Absolutely. And God commends or demonstrates and shows His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners and are still sinners, Christ died for me. Praise God. I don't want to minimize that message one bit. And the reality of all of us being able to understand my need for a Savior But don't you think it's a little bit true that we kind of live this kind of common Christian life that is quite benign? It is quite ease-centered. And we're really glad we've been to the cross, don't get me wrong. And we're really glad we went to church today. Church is really important to us. I don't know if this is the kind of conversation you have on the way home. I read a little story about the typical American family driving home from church. Dad was fussing about the sermon being too long and sort of boring. Mom said that she thought the organist played a little too loud during the second hymn. Uh, sis, who's a music major at college, said that the soloist sang about a half note off key during most of the song. Grandma said the announcements were way too long. She couldn't hear very well, and they were sitting in a bad place. Little, little Willie, the boy, sat in the back seat of the car listening to all of this, and he said that he didn't like the woman with the big hat who sat in front of him, and he couldn't see around her. So she must have been a big woman with a big hat. And then he nudged his dad, and he said, but dad, you got to admit, it was a pretty good show for a nickel. <laughs> Maybe we should say a dollar now, but... Uh, I guess he watched what his dad put in the offering basket. (laughs) I mean, what kind of Christianity are we living? What kind of Christian home and family do we have? Um, I don't know. One thing I I do know is that there are not two classes of Christians. Christianity is not divided into, like, two classes. There's, like, everybody who's been to the cross to be saved. Whew! And I'm glad and I got my ticket to heaven in my pocket because tomorrow afternoon on the way from work, if the cement truck comes and crosses the yellow line, and hits me head on. And I'm dragged over down to the ER and they got a plastic pipe down my throat and then they can't do anything. And I enter the presence of the Lord and he looks at me and says, why should I let you into my heaven? I'm going to whip out my card and I'm going to say, I've been to the cross. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleansed me from all sin. And that's the only right answer. So that's that class of Christian. And then there's the class of Christian who gets it and they deny themselves and they take up the cross. The Tom and Heidi Jesser of the world, the Jim and Jim Elliott and Nate Saints of the world. Who go live in a treehouse in the jungle to reach naked savages for Christ. They deny themselves, take up their cross and follow him. I don't think so. I think what we have here is quite normal, what Jesus is teaching. Secondly, and finally for today, I want you to understand that this is radical. Let's flip the coin over. Not only is it normal, but it is radical. And it is intended by our Lord to be radical. Radical means extreme. Radical, also, I looked it up in the dictionary. Um, radical means completely thorough. Did you know that? I think it's used that way with some surgeries. When, when they define certain surgeries with the, with the word radical, it means they're going to take everything. Completely, thoroughly taken. Radical also means, according to Webster, a marked departure from the usual or the traditional. Uh, This gets back to the warning of this message. I think that it's time for Fellowship Bible Church not to live the usual, traditional American Christianity. And that's why I also say I'm not sure I'm fit to teach the message Radical also means making extreme changes in existing views, habits, conditions, or institutions. In other words, if we're radically following Christ, then everything about us is seen through the lens of the cross and Christ and who he is and his ownership of us. And, and we change our existing views, habits, conditions, and institutions. That's 2 Corinthians 5.17, isn't it? If anybody is in Christ, he is a new creation. We've already quoted that once this service, or twice. And so you need to know, yes, it's normal, but radical is normal. Isn't that interesting? Radical is going to be normal. And so we see on the second bullet point that... The second dynamic about Christ's call is that this call challenges the follower of Christ to the very core of your value system. You cannot have a worldly value system. You cannot think like a secularist and be a true follower of Christ. And it's also radical because he uses that phrase, and let's let our eyes go back to verse 24, and then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone including us, would come after me, that's Jesus, let him then deny himself and then take up his cross. We're going to get into more detail of what that looks like next week. But I really don't like that self-denial thing, do you? It really gets in the way of my comfort. We had a birthday party this week at our house Lonzo Puller turned 60. Do you know that? You know Lonnie? He's a blessing to our church. He's a servant of Christ, and he is a dear friend of mine. And Lonnie turned 60. Nobody paid much attention, and we were gone. We didn't have time to give him a birthday party. So we combined my 56th birthday with Lonzo's 60th birthday Friday night. We had a few of our family together. And Janet asked me if I wanted her to make two cakes, one for Lonnie and one for me. I said, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. And so she said, what do you want me to make? At our house, you get to choose the menu and the cake for your birthday. Not too shabby. So it was an easy first choice. That was turtle cake. And it's phenomenal. I have already eaten out of the pan. So if you come to my house, you don't get any. (laughs) And then Janet made, uh, I said, make good dessert. Well, it's not a cake. That's all right. You can put candles in it. It's that crunchy bottom stuff. And then, and then I, we like it to take chocolate pudding and vanilla pudding and mix it together and then you put Cool Whip on top and then it's in the refrigerator, you know what I'm talking about? And uh, Lonnie had one and I had the other and Lonnie took some home and everybody left and now there's like a third of each, one in the refrigerator and one on the counter. I have not been very good at denying myself. <laughs> After all, I deserve it, it's my birthday. You know that feeling? How we rationalize, and we sneak, and we indulge self-denial. We'll, we'll break that down a little bit more next week. Maybe that's one reason why this service ended up being out of my control, and we ran out of time, and we'll just stop here. Um... Because we need to maybe focus a little bit more, practically speaking, exactly what does that look like. Let me tell you this much. The word that's translated deny himself, the Greek word means, essentially means to completely disown. To completely disown. So you're telling me, Pastor Van, that if I come to Christ, I have to disown myself. And, and, then, and then I have to take up my cross And everything about me now begins to identify with Christ. Yep. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. Two things about this cross. It has everything to do with your identification. You know, there was a big game yesterday, right? In Morgantown. Some little squeaky team from Midwest came out, got punched in the mouth. (laughs) It was not difficult to tell the yellow and blue, was it? The gold and blue. They identified with their mountaineers, didn't they? And oh, we like to do that. This, this identification is its much more cumbersome. It's much less comfortable. But that's part of what he's talking about here. When he says you completely disown yourself. You now take on a new identification. And your identification is characterized by the cross. With Christ. The second word would be mortification, an old King James word meaning put to death. The cross transforms my identification, and the cross is the means by which I put myself to death and completely cut it off. And then the norm becomes radical. The radical becomes norm. I'm a little bothered by this myself. I really like comfort. I'm not all sure what the Lord wants me to do. I don't know what he wants us to do as a church. I don't know what he wants you to do as an individual and as a family. I do know this. There's no such thing as just like commando Christians. It is the call to all believers to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and to follow Jesus. Are you ready? Let's stand and pray. Father, I suspect that some of us need to really examine our hearts before you. We've made excuses and we may even be unsure of what you want from us and how this looks. And, And so, Lord, would you help us as we continue to study this passage, that as a church we would we would be able to clearly define your call upon our lives and how that's going to look every day, even for those who do have to go to Walmart and pick up their kids at 3 o'clock. And that you would just challenge us, Lord, that the norm of our lives would be this radical identification with Christ and His cross and that we would learn the joy of mortification the putting to death of self and pride and arrogance that we would just be a humble church a humble people and that we would embrace this uncomfortable Christianity that's our prayer and we pray it in Jesus name Amen